the service last time, and you guys are in for another treat, so thank you, John. Thanks, Kian. And that's why I wore my, t my Target outfit today. As I, <laughs> as, I was, as I was getting dressed this morning, I realized I, I look like I work at Target. Like, how can I help you? Uh, thanks, Kian. Hey, um, before we jump into the passage that we're going to be moving through this morning, I want to introduce somebody to you. Um, we hired a new children's minister, and we've been in a search process for over a year, and um, we decided that this person that rose up um, through many conversations and through discerning and prayer, um, that God led us to the right person, and I want to introduce her to you. This is uh, Cheryl Gerlich. And Cheryl uh, comes with, how many, how many years has it been since you've been like 25 years of children's ministry experience? And a little. A little and a little bit more. Um, but Cheryl truly is a, as a pastor to children, to families. Um, she brings uh, such skills and love. Her heart for kids is so evident when you spend time with her. So my encouragement to you would be get to know Cheryl. She's going to be milling around and filling in the gaps and the crevices around here and blessing our kids and being with our families. Um, she brings such a strong pastoral presence. And we've gotten to know her, and I hope that you all get to know her as well. I think you'll be very blessed by her presence and who she is as a person. So we're really glad that you're here, Cheryl. We're honored to have you as a part of our team and to see um, what God does through you and through your ministry and your time here at Hillside. Um, we are doing a, on the 11th of August, we'll have a commissioning service for Cheryl. And so we'll spend time hearing from our committee, the search committee, and hearing from some of our leaders just of their experience with Cheryl. But if you would please do yourself a favor and get to know this person, um, you'll be blessed by just knowing her. So thank you, Cheryl. Welcome. You. Welcome to the family. <clears throat> some of you are probably asking the question, uh, what happens with Daniela Chalemi? And Daniela has been serving our children for um, over a year now as a volunteer. Um, all the time that Daniela has put in has been volunteer. Um, she has sacrificed, she has given so much to our children's ministry and has really helped to build what is there now. And she has so graciously decided to stick around for a few months to help Cheryl in the transition. So if you see Daniela and your kids are like, Daniela's still here, that is true, she's staying, and she's gonna help this ministry grow and continue to be the vibrant presence that we hope and long for here at Hillside. Her family will be moving in a year to Atlanta, and um, as far as I know, the Wolners aren't going with them. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we're staying here. But they are, they're going to Atlanta in a year, but we get to have them for a year, they're gonna be around their family, and Daniela has some other opportunities um, that she's going to be stepping into. But I didn't want you to be surprised if you see Daniela around, if there's any confusion. It's because she's supporting Cheryl and Cheryl's team as they lead this ministry. So can we do this? Can we pray for a moment for God to bless our kids and uh, to thank him for his provision? God, we thank you for Cheryl. We thank you for um, the ways that you've shaped her and have molded her in all of these years of doing ministry in different contexts and different communities and that you brought her here to us during this time, during this season, and we're grateful for that. We thank you for her heart towards um, those of our students who have special needs, knowing that that is a big part of who Hillside is, that we are a welcoming community, and that we don't turn children away, or we don't look at kids as problematic, but we see them as the gifts that they are and all that they bring. I thank you that Cheryl brings in that element of love and compassion for all kids and not just those that we would consider the easy ones, but those who come with all of the beautiful complexities of life and family dynamics. We thank you, Jesus, that you've wired her in such a way to bless 
our families. Encourage her, give her everything that she needs as we step into this new season. Jesus, be with us. That's all we ask, that you be with us. Thank you for Daniela, all her faithful years of service and love. Just bless her now and her family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22 this morning. It is on the back of your handout if you want to follow along. Um, about uh, five years, five, six years ago, I, had, uh, I have a couple of friends. One name is Rob and one name is Trip. How's that for a name? Trip. T-R-I-P-P. -P. And uh, Rob and Trip um, have been very influential in my life in terms of shaping how I interact with the scriptures. And so we've had the opportunity to work through certain passages of scripture together. And so this particular passage that we're going to be looking at this morning comes from some open dialogue, some uh, collection of thought. And so I'm going to share um, the good news that I think has been brought to me through this passage through some of my friends. So some of what I'm going to share with you this morning comes from my heart. Some comes from their heart as well. So I, I think sometimes things are just too good to keep for yourself. You just have to share them with the people. And so I want to share these things that were given to me as a gift to you this morning. But I want to start in Genesis chapter 22. And let's look at verses 1 through 2 first. And then we'll do a little talking around what I think is going on in the text this morning. It says in verse 1, Sometimes later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, we read a story like that, especially if you grow up in the system, like you grew up in the church, you grew up in Christianity, you were given this story as a child, you hear it, but you really, you're like, you don't question it. it there's, there's something going on here that even as a child, you might say, yeah, that's a really interesting story. But as you evolve and as you get older, um, even if you have your own children, the thought of a God coming to you and saying, take your son and sacrifice him on a mountain seems ridiculous, doesn't it? If you really think about the question, um, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, in case you're not clear of whether you love him or not, but the one that you love, take him and sacrifice him. And I remember sitting with, with my friends asking the question like, okay, so is that a question, is that, a question that God would ask of us um, does God ask that question of us today or is this like an isolated story? And what's going on in this story? What does this tell us about God? What, what is God like? Um, is this the kind of God that would ask such a question? And for some of us, we don't wrestle with the question. And then there's those of us who truly wrestle with the question. We're kind of like, this is a really weird request, if we're honest. And you sit with this question and you think, I, I just don't know about that question. Because if God asked me to sacrifice my son, Ryan, whom I do love, He's 24 now, but if God asked me to sacrifice him, I might, my first inclination might be like, well, is that heartburn or is that God talking to me or am I upset with him or what's going on? I would, I would clearly protest. I, I wouldn't just assume that it was God. There would be lots of questions that would rise up inside of me. But why is this question even being asked? What's, what's going on in the story? And so we began to explore what, what is a story like this even doing in the scriptures and, and why is it there? And one of the many things that has been told to me, even throughout my childhood growing up in the church, is that, that, that whatever God asks you to do, you just do it. You don't ask questions. You don't protest. You don't raise up any suspicion. If God clearly asks you to do something, you do it, right? That's how it works. Good followers of Jesus in the room, that's how it works, right? 
God asks you to do something, you do it. No protest, no question. The assumption is, is that, well, his wisdom is greater than my wisdom. I mean, who am I? I'm just a, I'm just a small person. I don't, I'm not that important. So if God asks me to do something, I'm just going to do it because I trust God. And I have great faith in God. I'm obedient to the voice of God. And whatever God asks me to do, I do it. Now, that may be some of you in the room. That's certainly not me. Those are things that I, I might wrestle with and have questions about. But a, a story like this really does raise a lot of questions if you think about it, if you're truly looking at it with any ounce of integrity. Just kind of going, I don't, I don't know what's happening in this story, but there's something else going on here, and I want to dig and see if I can get at, at that. Is this a story about simply emulating somebody's um, obedience to God and God's invitation to follow him, even if, even if the request seems ridiculous? Is this a story about emulating Abraham's obedience. Is that the point? Could I say to us this morning, here's what we need to do. Everybody, every one of us in the room needs to be more like Abraham and when God asks you to do something, you just do it, no questions. Now go have a good week. <laughs> we could stay there. We could sit there and we could ruminate in that question. So as we began to explore this text, uh, my friend came up with this and I, and I love this and I, I simply wanna read some of what he wrote. But he says, here, let's, let's revisit a brief history of religion. And I thought, okay, helpful. A brief history of religion. And I think what he was attempting to do was like sometimes when you're looking at a story and you get up close to it, you can't see all the nuances around it. So you have to get above it and maybe go up like in an airplane, 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, and you get a different view. So when you're higher, you might look at something differently and begin to see some other different nuances in the story. Here's what he says, the, a brief history of religion. You ready for this? This should be fun. Uh, early humans came to the realization that their survival as a species was dependent on things like food and water. And for food to grow, it needs sun and water in proper proportion. Mind-blowing. We're all like, yes, we understand that. That was then, though, way back then. Too much water and things wash away. Not enough and plants die. Too much sun, plants will. Not enough, they die as well. These basic observations brought people to the conclusion that they were dependent on what are called unseen forces, that there are other forces at work out in the universe, gods, goddesses. We're trying to identify all these different unforeseen forces because it all depends on our survival. So then the question is, is how do we make sure that we're pleasing the unseen forces? Um, is it about sacrificing the correct amount of sacrifice? So for example, the big question on your mind would be like, okay, these unforeseen forces, two things. How do we keep them on our side? Because let's make sure we keep them on our side. And how do we uh, address the question, if they're against us, what do we do? So if they're not for us and they're against us, then how do we please them and make them for us? Because that's the whole game. It's like, how do we make sure that the blessings in life still happen and they still keep coming in our direction? And then how do you keep them on your side? Those are big questions. So the next time you have a harvest, for those of you who farm in the room, you take a portion of that harvest and you offer it on an altar as a sign of your gratitude, right? So you take your best portion of what you were given, you put it on the altar because you want to please the forces. You've got to keep them happy. Now, this raises more questions. What if you were born during this time in history? What if that's how you were taught to see reality, to see the world? Now imagine when people would offer a sacrifice, but it didn't rain, oh shoot, or the sun didn't shine, or their animals still got diseases, or they were unable to have children. 
The question then comes, maybe we didn't offer enough, right? So maybe we didn't give enough because the other side of it is these, unsor- these unforeseen forces didn't give us enough rain, enough sun, enough, 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 which raises a question, when is enough enough? Uh, like at what point do you cut it off and say, we found it, we found the secret method. When is enough enough? Now imagine operating out of that drive your entire life. What would that be like? What would result in your movement through life. If I offer more, if I get it right, if I make sure everything is done in proper proportion, then I will get the blessing that I think I deserve. Imagine living out of that in your life. Imagine if that's the drive in life. So that was back then, this is now. Back then, religion had this thing built into the very center of it called anxiety. And anxiety is about control. We gotta make sure that we keep things in this realm of anxiety. And so the gods and the goddesses were perceived as having kind of a hold over humanity that if you didn't get it right, then make sure you offer more. And if you did get it right, make sure you offer the same amount that you did last time. So write it down. Make sure you've got all the measurements at stake. The reason why this is so important is because your entire family, your livelihood, your stock, your farm, everything was, was dependent upon getting it right. And what happens so often in people's posture is that they believe that if I'm obedient, if I get it right, God will bless me. And if I'm not obedient, God will bring calamity into my life. Now, that was then, this is now. I understand that we're more evolved now. And maybe we don't operate out of these realms any longer, but I wonder, is any of this resonating inside of any of you, if you're honest? If things go well, you better make sure you're grateful. If things don't go well, you weren't grateful enough, so make sure next time you're more grateful so that things will go well in your life. Either way, what's the result? Anxiety. Does anybody in the room um, ever have anxiety? You know this old familiar friend. But anxiety, what it does is it produces this impulse inside of us to sacrifice more, to give more, to make sure we're doing it right. Because you never knew where you stood. Imagine living life that way. You never know where you stand with God. You're not quite sure if you're getting it right. Imagine growing up in a system where you had to offer offer more, give more, throw it down on the altar so you would offer a crop or you might even throw in a cow if you're feeling really generous. Or maybe you throw in a lamb, maybe a few cows if you're feeling really like, we really need this to come through and maybe even some birds and you throw them into the equation. This is the very early nature of religion, right? Now, as I listen to people and I watch people's behavior, including myself, We all have this thing inside of us that I call the religious impulse. I see it in everyone. The religious impulse that exists inside of us that convinces us there's got to be something that I can do in order to please these unforeseen forces, to make more money come into my life, more blessing, more of whatever I think I need. And it operates in every one of us. Um, Precious Floyd, you all know Floyd, our good brother Floyd led a prayer service yesterday here at Hillside in which four people came. And Floyd comes up to me after the sermon and he says, you know what my first impulse was? 
I didn't fast enough. I didn't pray enough for people to come. And then he said, and then I heard you preach, and, it, and I remembered that religious impulse is even in Floyd. Right, which made me feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> Precious follower of Jesus coming and saying, I even caught myself. Then I had another person come, and she was on vacation with her family this last week, and they were looking for this really unique kind of monkey. And it, was, it would only come out at night, but they had to find this monkey. And she's looking, they're going through the desert, they're going through the jungle, the desert, come on. They're going through the jungle, and as they're going through the jungle, she found herself negotiating with God. As, as we do, right? So like maybe, maybe if I do this, I can, I can actually, my kids can actually see this, this rare animal. But then she said this to me. She said, you know, I, I caught myself doing that. And then I just simply said it. And I can't remember exactly what she said. And you're looking right at me, Frank. So I, I'm like, you have to correct me in the story. Um, can, you, can you refresh my memory? Is it... Was it simply because she just said, because God loves me, that he wants to show me? I think that's what it is. We'll go with that. You're looking at me like, just stop talking to me. You're an idiot. <laughs> like, what are, what are you even doing? She just, she just basically said, this is my, how I remember this, and you can correct me, Frank. She just basically said, it's just because God loves me. Why wouldn't he want to give me a gift? He just loves me. And within 30 minutes, the monkey appeared. You know, so I, I like, I hear those stories and I think, do, do we, are we all aware of the, religi the religious kind of negotiating skills that we have inside of us that we play with God? That we're like, well, if I hold up my end of the deal, then you got to hold up your end of the deal. Do you ever negotiate with God? I do. And I think, well, I've been obedient. Why, why aren't you coming through for me? I did everything that you asked me to do. And that impulse operates in so many of us, because we're, we're still kind of living out of the drive that my obedience somehow will lead to blessing. And if there's no blessing, then it has to be because I did something wrong. I missed the mark. There's always this fear about getting it right, isn't there? We just got to make sure we're getting it right. Now, if you really want to please the gods, and you really want to show them how faithful you are, and you really want to prove to the world that you are an obedient follower of this God, what could you do? You could offer your most precious, valued thing in life, your son. So here's Abraham. God asks him, offer your son, and Abraham does it. Religion always takes you to the place where you had better offer your most valuable thing in life. You had better do it. And if you don't do it, where is your allegiance? Where is your love? Where is your dedication? I think this was probably the main thrust of how people thought. So when we read these stories, we're reading through a lens of this is how people see the world. If you do your part, God will come through for you. Of course, that was then and this is now. Are we really that much different? I think we are different in our level of sophistication, but I, am, I, I see the religious impulse in myself. I see it in all of us. I see myself negotiating with God. I sit down on my computer sometimes and I have spreadsheets of negotiating with God. If I do this, then this will happen, correct? And I can see it operating in my own life and in my own motivation. Either way, if I get it right and I get blessed, or if I don't get it right and I don't get blessed, either way, it's on me. 
It's always on me. It's always about me and my response. And what that produces in so many of us is it's just a level of uncertainty and fear and anxiety. And we operate out of that realm. It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? To live life that way, to live with all of that anxiety, to live with all that fear, it sounds absolutely exhausting. Versus living out of the drive that says, well, God, I know you love me. (laughs) That's enough. So if you want to give me a monkey or not, or if you want four people to show up or not, I know you love me. Whether I fast or not, I know, I know people are coming. And Floyd's pushback to me was, or his, what he said back to me was, is that there were four people there and we prayed. That's beautiful. And we prayed and it was so good and it was so enjoyable. I just want to enjoy God. I don't want to negotiate with God. I don't want to turn God into a transactional partner that I have to somehow figure out how do I work with this person. But it's more of like, I get to be in relationship with this God who loves me and already accepts me, and I get to be in right relationship with him through Jesus. I just get to. And it's not about shoulds, I should do this, or I have to do this. It's about coulds, I could do this, and I get to do this. And these are the things that I get to do. So let's read on, verse three. Let's look at the story a little bit more in detail. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey as you do. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. God tells Abraham, offer your son Abraham, and Abraham doesn't seem to be shocked by the request. Now, doesn't that, isn't that a bit startling? When you look at the story, he doesn't seem to be shocked. We have no, nothing going on around the text that would tell us that, well, Abraham negotiated. Abraham was shocked. Abraham protested. Are you sure this is what you're asking me to do? No checking in with wise leaders because that's what we do, right? If God asks us to do something absolutely uh, that's big and enormous, at the very least, we're not jumping in right away. We might check in with other people around us. Am I hearing this right? Am I getting this right? Do you think I'm losing it upstairs? Or Is this what God is asking me to do? An absolute sureness that this is what God is asking you to do. Those questions come into my heart and into my life. And I I begin to ask the question when I read a story like that, is is this really what the story is about? Is it about Abraham's obedience? Is it about Abraham was willing to do whatever God asked him to do? Therefore, our response to the story is that we need to be more like Abraham. And if you're not more like Abraham, you're, you're just a lazy, pathetic follower of God. Is that how you motivate a human heart? Is that really how you get to the heart of a person and invite them into this life-giving relationship with following God? Abraham just gets up. It says he gets up in the morning, he hops on his donkey, and he just says, basically, my interpretation, let's do this. Let's, let's go. Because this is how religion works works. The gods demand what is most valuable to you and you don't question it because those unseen forces are clearly in control. You just do it. No questions. Be obedient. So he does it. Verse four. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So we could say, so for three days, huh, he and his son go on a journey in which the son is as good as dead. When they get to the mountain, what does Abraham say to the servants? Verse five. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Interesting how the story is starting to change now. We will go and offer the sacrifice. Abraham knows what's going on in the story. 
We will go and offer the sacrifice and then we will come back to you. Who's this we that he's talking about? What's happening in the story here? The story seems to be subverting itself. It's begging us to see that there's something deeper going on here. Abraham is like tipping his hat, letting us know there's something else going on here because ultimately he understands that God is going to offer a sacrifice because he understands that this is who this God is. See, the standard reading that I've been told so many years and grew up to interpret is that Abraham loved God so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son, no questions. And if you, Jonathan, love God, you will give up everything for the sake of God, if you truly do. Give up everything for God because that's how you motivate the human heart. But could it be possible that there's something else going on in the story more than just Abraham's obedience? Is there, is there a possibility that the story could be telling us something about God that's even bigger than what we're seeing in the story on the surface? Because really, the question comes back to me over and over again is, when is enough enough, really? When's it enough? And verse eight gives us the answer. It says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. It's actually a very clever non-answer answer. Who's gonna provide the sacrifice? God will provide it, Right? He, he, doesn't, he gets ready to sacrifice his son. He draws, he draws the knife back and then God steps in and he offers a ram and the story's over, right? So we could all walk away from that and go, see what happens when you hold up your end of the deal. God holds up his end of the deal. Have a good week. God bless you. Or is there something more going on here? We could walk away and say, that's the point of the story. And the question could be, hey, who in the room is all in with God? ready, devoted, you're going to be radical, whatever God asks you to do, you're all in for God. But what is that? What's underneath that stuff? That's the stuff that feeds the religious impulse that's inside of all of us. It's conditional. It's religion. It's all based on what we do. It's all about us and what we offer. Are we offering enough? Are we grateful enough? But I think this brings us back to the original question. What's the nature of this God? What is, what is this God like in comparison to all the other gods and goddesses, the unforeseen forces, what is this God like? Now I think possibly the point of the story could be the drama. There's a drama going on here. Abraham is told what to do when he's told to offer his son because this is where religion always takes us, my friends. It always takes us in this direction. Do more, sacrifice more, offer more, make sure you're getting it right. Make sure that you're doing your solo time. Make sure your devo time is in check. Make sure everything is in check. Check, 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 check. Religion likes to keep the list going on and on and on, making sure that we're getting it right. Because if we get it right, then things in life are gonna go right. And if you get blessed, make sure you offer more just in case you didn't offer enough. And if you don't get blessed, man, pull it together. Pull up your bootstraps and what is wrong with you? Get it right. And it drives us through life, understanding that, is this God ever satisfied? Could we ever please this God? What is going on inside of us? And it just continues to bring up and stir up fear, worry, anxiety. But the story takes a really weird turn. And it's interesting because this, this God actually disrupts the sacrifice. This God comes out of nowhere and does what the gods don't do. He provides the sacrifice. The story says that this God actually provides, which is monumental. Wait, what is this God like? This God actually provides. He steps into the story and he provides because it was always about you. It was always about you making sure you're getting it right, proving that you're a worthy recipient 
of these unforeseen forces. But in this story, this God says, I will provide. You do not have to. A God who gives, a God who doesn't require anything in return, no strings attached. Imagine that. That's the kind of God that is being revealed in the story. A couple other observations. This is a story about what God does for Abraham. So often it's about what we do for God. And what this story teaches us is actually, this is what God does for Abraham. Notice what he does. It's mind-blowing in the face of religion, if you think about it. It's groundbreaking. A story told like this during this time in history would have been like, what? This is a monumental leap. To think of a God who actually steps in and does the providing. Because it's all based on what you do, your duty, your provision, your own possibility of, of making sure that your life leads to blessing. And what happens so often is we get it confused in our minds. We think it's our obedience that brings the blessing, but what the gospel does and what the love of God does, it's actually the blessing comes first, even when you're screwed up, and then comes obedience. It's the response of the human heart. When you know you're loved, when you know you're accepted, when you know deep down inside there's nothing I can do I can't offer enough. I can't be grateful enough. My response is, I want to obey. I, I want to reveal to you how much I love you. I, I'm all in. I mean, you've given me so much. I'm all in not to receive the blessing, but simply as a response to that gratitude, a response of, I'm all in because you've given your entire self to me. How could I not give everything back to you in return? The reality is, friends, is that we actually get to obey God huh, that's what we get to do. The story about a God who doesn't demand anything, who gives and blesses, it's like, really? That's what this story is about? A God who doesn't hold anything over us, waiting for us to make sure we got the response right, but a God who just says, I just want to bless you. What a different way to live. What a different impulse. Imagine if you lived out of that impulse, what might come out of your life? What might your life look like if you lived out of that drive? Not only does this God do things for Abraham, he does things with Abraham. And then the last thing that we see in the story is that this God not only blesses Abraham and his offspring, but it says he's going to bless everyone through him. Everyone. Like all nations, all tribes, all people, I'm going to bless them through you. This God's intentions is to bless. That's what this God does. He blesses everyone. And each one of us is invited to trust and to lean into that and to live out of that drive. We get to live into these promises that this God wants to bless everyone. Can you see how many game-changing ideas just come out of this one story? Just this one beautiful story inside of the scriptures. So, can you think of another story where a son went on a journey and after the third day, everyone thought he was as good as dead. But he came back, didn't he? The story of a son going on a journey three days and he comes back and what does this Jesus do after he rises from the dead? He confronts the conventional wisdom of the day. I love that. He keeps insisting God's not angry with you. God's not upset with you. He's not keeping tabs on everything that you're doing wrong and everything that you're doing right. He kept insisting and inviting and celebrating that everybody was welcome at his table. 
everyone. What I love about this Jesus is that he even threw parties for all the wrong kinds of people. And he invited them to these parties. The fact that his first miracle was turning water into wine, you're like, I'm in. What is this God doing? What is happening through Jesus? He's inviting all of these people to come, the people that were pushed out into the margins, the people who were told, you're not getting it right, you're not doing it right, you're not welcome in the temple. What are you doing here? You're not doing all the things right. And he says, actually, come on in and fellowship with me. You're welcome at my table. And, he's just, and he just simply says, just believe in me. Just place your faith and your trust in me. You're welcome here. Just come and participate with me. I have this narrative in my head where I interact with the enemy. And the enemy is so good at reminding me about everything that I'm doing wrong. Do you guys have this similar voice that operates in your head where you're not getting it right? And what I've learned to do over the years is I remind my enemy and my voice, actually, it's a lot worse than you're saying. <laughs> you're like, you're getting maybe 30% of me, but it's so much worse than that. So shut up. And the reality is, my friends, is on those weeks where I'm missing the mark and I'm not doing it right and I'm not having my solo times or I'm just kind of floating through life, it doesn't make God love me any less. And there are weeks when I'm killing it. There are weeks when my prayer life is synced up and I'm good and I'm generous and I'm doing all the right things, but that does not make God love me anymore. It's the same all the way through whether I miss it or whether I hit it. It's not about me. Amen. It's about this generous God who just says, Jonathan, I just want to bless you. Amen. And eventually, my human heart that wants to run, that wants to produce, that wants to prove, to prove, to prove that I can do this right, begins to go, you know, I'm tired of trying to prove it. I'm trying to try to win. I'm just tired. I just want to rest. And it's like I can hear God saying, finally, yeah. finally. Just enjoy me. So much of our lives are about what are you doing for God? And many times I think God just says, I just want to be with you. Amen. I, just, I just want to be with you. Is that okay? Can we just be together? Because that's a loving response, isn't it? Can we just, can we just be together? And I, I want to tell you what I think about you. I want to tell you what I see when I look at you. I, I want to call out all the best things in you. And I don't want to heap more on you. And I don't want you to have to feel like you have to prove everything to me. I just... I know your heart. I know sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's light. I get it. I do. But my son went on a journey and for three days they thought he was dead and then he came back and, and his sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice and he opened up the heavens. They were opened to us through Jesus and now we're invited into this living, breathing relationship with Christ that we get to follow Jesus in all of these places and we get to do things that may require a lot of us, but we get to do those things. We don't have to do those things. You don't have to do anything, but you get to do those things because that's where life's at. And all the shoulds, I, I pray and I beg God that you would all stop shooting on yourself <laughs> and just step into the coulds. And I could, I could live into this. I could be more this way. I, I could step into this deeper reality that I'm loved just the way that I am. You're okay just the way you are. Be at peace. Amen. Be at peace. Amen.
do uh, Living Hope, just that. Um, I, think, I think a good way to respond is just to sing that, um, sing the chorus of Living Hope, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you've broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Let's just sing that. Yeah, let's stand together. invitation is that you get to live out of that this week wherever you go whether you find yourself in cubicle world under fluorescent lights or on the BART wherever God invites you to step into his creation this week may you know that he is for you in all ways he's so for you he loves you he's pleased with you he sees you your heart so walk with that this week walk with the understanding that God is with you deeply inside of you And go now in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.